0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Father in Heaven, we have come here to this camp meeting to receive the Holy Spirit, to draw close to Jesus. We want to learn and grow, and we want to be right, we want to understand right, so Lord, bless us today, bless us in this meeting, bless all the other presenters, Lord. And and Lord, the presenters kind of already know what we are going to present, so Lord, please bless the hearers and guide us, Lord, in your way, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to our part two out of five, and uh, we're going to be working especially out of John chapter nine today. And I think you know that uh, story. John chapter 9 is the man who was born blind. And the disciples are walking along. They're in Jerusalem. They're with Jesus. They see a blind beggar. And I'm sure it was very much as it was uh, some years ago when I was in uh, just south of Hollywood, California. Uh, I was walking through a section of L.A. area which is very Jewish. And somebody said, alms, alms. And that was the way it was 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. There was a beggar. He was there in his usual place. And he was asking for alms because that was the social security system. And uh, as they walked there, the disciples said to Jesus, "Uh, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And when you think about it, that's a really um, interesting, stimulating question. Because uh, for the for the person to be born blind, and for that to be because of directly because of sin, that would mean that either either his parents sinned or he sinned. And some thought that when you that everything you got in this world was exactly based on your sin. And so the question then was, uh, who sinned? This one or his parents? And that raises the question of, did he even sin in the womb? Which is a very fascinating question. But Jesus is going to give us an answer, and we're going to look today especially at this question about sin. Can fallen men not sin? And what is sin? If we understand what sin is, we're going to be way ahead in terms of understanding the whole controversy between good and evil. If we don't understand what sin is, we're going to be way behind. And what we in fact find is that in Christian history from from very early in the history of Christianity there were certain ideas about what sin is that have entered in and confused the issue all the way down to our day and so uh, we want to try to go from the Bible and so we'll work our way through this and then we'll come back at the end and depending on how much time we have we'll look at uh, I've got a list of of verses if you have any verses you're, you're questioning or interested in looking at more closely dealing with sin we'll have opportunity to just look at that. So let's carry on with our story here. The wages of sin is death. Sin is the transgression of the law. God's law tells us what sin is. To sin is to act in the very opposite to God's character. And the Bible gives us some very clear definitions of sin. Whatever Jesus is like, Just keep in mind that to sin is the opposite. Whatever Jesus is like, to sin is the opposite. There's a controversy between Christ and Satan, and there are two modes of behavior, and there's only two. There's self-service, or there is serving others. And everything we do more or less boils down into those two spaces, and a lot of things that we think innocently are some neutral third ground. They usually come down to either self-pleasing or they'll come down to actually kind of a spirit that helps others. So, if the Bible answers this question, then all the other questions are going to sort themselves out. If the Bible doesn't answer this question, we're left with systems, idea systems that uh, men have devised and we're left with basically trusting the theologians, you know, listening to their explanations and crossing our fingers and hoping it's right, which is not a good way to do theology. So we're going to go to the Bible here, and we're going to look a little bit at this incident in John 9, which opens the way here. So Jesus and the disciples, again, they're walking through. They see this man. Everybody was used to seeing him, and they ask him the question, Rabbi, teacher, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? So remember then, Jesus uh Jesus is going to give them an answer, and usually, as it often is, they try to put Jesus in a box, you know, A or B, and Jesus says, okay, C. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do here. Um, the idea then, as I said, was that everybody is pretty much punished uh, with what you do already in this life. All afflictions are, are the fault either of the sufferer or his parents. Somebody did something wrong, and so God is, uh, God is going to smash you with the hammer for it. That's kind of the viewpoint. So what do we have here? Jesus' answer is in chapter 9, verse 3. John 9, verse 3, and it's that C category. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, um, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You may have a, a condition, a medical condition, a defect, one leg may be longer than the other. One nostril may be larger than the other. One ear may be smaller than the other. Uh, you may be more left brain than right brain, or vice versa. It all, In the end, you know, we're all kind of misshapen. And we're all affected by thousands of years of the results of sin. Uh, so here we have this question and Jesus answered. It wasn't either one. It wasn't because he sinned. It wasn't because his parents sinned. And Jesus doesn't attribute it to anything particular, but he says it is so that God's works will be revealed in this person. The cause of his blindness is something else than they were thinking. So now it's very handy uh, to take a section of scripture you're studying and to outline it. And I really think we should do a a thing about how to study the Bible Uh, uh, where we can go through and we block out the sections. If you look at John chapter 9, it breaks out into three, three different sections. Uh, first 12 verses is this question that we just talked about. Jesus cures the fellow then, and then there's a clarification. Um, and then we have verses 13 to 34. There are three interviews. Now they're all concerned because Jesus is out doing miracles again, and oh, we just hate it when that happens. So they're going to try to uh, find out what's going on, and then we have this last portion, which is probably the most interesting to us today. Jesus seeks this fellow out, he finds him again, and then he talks a little bit about um, light and revelation and sin. So we're going to look at that, uh, and those are the three pieces. If you break down all of John chapter 9, it's a narrative, it's a part in the Bible where it's telling a story, it's telling, telling it like it really is. And so these are the three sections. If you were making it into a screenplay or something, or you want to understand it better, you break it down, and then we work on those three sections. So we're not going to actually study a lot about the first two portions, but let's go to that third portion where Jesus seeks him out. The, yes, this is truly the guy. He, he is the one that was born blind, and now he sees And so at uh, verse 35, John 9, verse 35, uh, we have these interesting statements by Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus says. For judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And now there were spies there. And the spies were listening, and they asked Jesus. They were listening very closely. And one of them actually asked Jesus, well, are we blind too? And that shows you that they were actually paying close attention because they weren't talking about literal blindness. They were talking, they they perceived, or they interpreted Jesus as Jesus is talking about spiritual blindness. And he was. And so these close listeners, you know, you think, well, the Pharisees and the scribes, they... They always kind of were in opposition and they never understood. Uh, but a lot of times they understood it too well. And a lot of times this is our problem with the Bible. It's not that it's the Bible's so hard to understand. We've got to have theologians and PhDs and commentaries and just papers and books. A lot of times, most of the time, the vast most of the time, the Bible is very easy to understand. The trouble is we don't want to do what is pretty clear we should be doing. That's usually the problem. And so here's the Pharisees, what, is, what, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus is going to answer them. So we're looking at John 9, and uh, at this verse 35, are we blind also? Look at Jesus' reply. If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, and so Jesus says, therefore your sin remains. So if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, But you say that you see, and so Jesus says, you know, since you see, and since you're not doing what you should be doing spiritually, uh, your sin remains. You are guilty. You have made yourself guilty by not, when the truth came to you, you didn't pursue it. And so there is guilt. And there's a principle here, a basic principle about sin. Sin is something, you, you need a knowledge of it. The sin for which we are guilty, the sin for which we are condemned or lost is something that we know is true, but we choose not to do it. That choice is rebellion, and when we choose rebellion, it's not a general or a vague or a neutral kind of rebellion. All of our rebellion against right things is rebellion against God, and so when we have that rebellion against God, we we are choosing the side of the great rebel, and we don't we certainly don't want that. So Jesus came for judgment, but there's no judgment without facts to judge on. Jesus came to give sight to the blind, like the man that he had just healed, and we kind of skipped over his wonderful healing of that person, but he, had, he did heal him, and that was what the question that was came up after that was, uh, who healed you? Who did this? Because from the beginning of the world, nobody had ever healed somebody born blind. So Jesus is going around healing the different ones, and that got everybody's attention. So what do we have here? Jesus makes this statement. Sin that condemns is not sin unless there is acting out against God. If you don't know something is opposed to God's will, then you're not condemned for doing it. But Jesus came to this world for judgment, so he came with the mission of revealing what truth is. Once we know what is truth, then we have a choice. Do the truth or rebel against the truth. Those are always our choices. Do the truth or rebel against the truth. Jesus came to clarify for us what God's will is. The Pharisee rightly guessed that Jesus was speaking about spiritual truth. So this is what we have. They reject Jesus as Messiah, and so Jesus was very clear. He said, therefore, your sin remains. You're rejecting me. You're rejecting God's ways. Uh, You are choosing rebellion. And this wasn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. When light comes to us, when God's truth comes to us, we need to weigh it, think about it, uh, realize that God is calling us. Every time God sends truth to you, he is calling you. He's also giving you his vote of confidence because he will not allow us to be attested or tempted above what we're able, 1 Corinthians 10:13. And so when God approaches you with a new truth, he is trying to give you a gift. But a lot of times when we come to those kinds of tests, we are weighing the things we're familiar with, that we're used to, the social cost. My family may disown me if I get too interested in something like the Sabbath or that weird Sabbatarian cult built around Ellen White, which is the last thing we are, is a cult built around any one person. But... Uh, there is always a social cost, and you and I have probably seen people in evangelistic meetings. Maybe it's the night we're, we're showing, we're sharing the Sabbath. And, uh, someone will be there, and you see, you see their face, you see the expression change. They've been convicted by the, the scriptures. They've, they sense that the Sabbath is truth. It, It matches what the Bible says, but they know that their friends are going to be unhappy with them. Their family will say, why are you messing with those crazy Adventists? And so they are weighing all these pieces, and so the presenter, the, the preacher wants them to realize that it's God's truth versus versus error of some kind, and we need to see it that way. But if we're framing it in terms of how much is this, is this going to cost me socially, how much is this going to cost me with my family, we may come on down and make the wrong decision. But God knows, and he's working to bring us into the right place. I guess the key point right here is that uh, we find maybe uh, Jesus says it, if, if possible, even more cl- clearly at John 15, verse 22, I guess I'm not paying close attention here, uh, at John 15, 22, what do we have there? Jesus said this, Just it's the same thing we just have in John 9, but here's what it says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse, no cloak, no excuse for their sin. And so when Jesus, when God speaks to us, when Jesus presents truth to us, we need to say, yes, Lord. We need to respond. And unfortunately, we live in an age where what? There's your truth, your truth, your truth, her truth, his truth, everybody's truth, but actually don't believe there is any truth. We're in the post-truth age, I think they said a few years ago. So it's just... You just make it up as you go. What you think is morally right is morally right. What I think is morally right is morally right for me. What she thinks is morally right is morally right for her. And nobody's morally right. And basically, you come down to this mushy zero. There is no right, there is no wrong. If there's no right and there's no wrong, then there's no morality. If there's no morality, there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no judgment. And we can just smile on the way to the grave. So that's what the devil is working for, is to have us be that confused. Jesus came to show who chooses to see and who chooses to be blind. And in the Gospel of John, John told us something right near the beginning of his book. John 1, verse 9. Here's what he says in John 1, verse 9. He said that Jesus was, quote, that true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. I don't know if you know how significant that statement of Jesus is. Jesus is that true light which gives life to every person coming into the world. So basically everybody is being confronted with truth. Everybody is making decisions. Uh, you say, well, I don't vote. Well politically, you know, perhaps many of us don't vote, but morally we're always voting. Morally, we're always voting for Christ's side of the conflict or we're we're voting for Satan's side of the conflict. And that's why Ellen White titled her book The Great Controversy, not The Great Controversy. She called it The Great Controversy Between Christ and Satan. And uh, we have shorter titles today, but the story is still true. And in fact, uh, you should realize that blindness, spiritual blindness, is often chosen. If you read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, you find out what? Everybody knows there is a God. I'm reading books right now by um, some of the, the top-line foremost atheists. Uh, there was a big surge in atheist things on the Internet and in the world here uh, ten, or, 10 or so years ago. And uh, these are the biggest, best, baddest arguments there are today. And you look, and in, in, I haven't got that far yet. I'm a few hundred pages into my plan of reading. But um, I'm really impressed that uh, it's fascinating that the truth of God is so clear. In Romans, we find out that everyone knows there is a God. You may not like that fact, but everyone knows there's a God. And so to turn around and, and laugh at it, as some of these guys do, They've got some issues going on, but the Lord wants their hearts. So Um, men aren't normal anymore. Blindness is chosen. God did not make Adam and Eve. They weren't blind at the beginning. They were sighted, and he wanted them to learn more. Things haven't been normal since the fall. We need to be reborn from above. Until Until we are reborn from above, we have a strange love of darkness. It's the same for all of us. And take a, take a small child and take him and lock him in the store overnight, the grocery store. Put him between the asparagus aisle and the candy bar aisle. <laughs> see, what, see what happens when you get there in the morning. Probably the asparagus is going to still be there. We have this, we're drawn in a certain way. We are fallen people and uh, all these pieces. God wants to cure us even though we love darkness. God wants to cure us of darkness there's personal sin and jesus often tells people in the bible what go and sin no more but there's also broader effects of sin there are diseases maladies warped creation when you drive by a an animal on the side of the road which was smashed by a car when you see it actually happen those are all things that are unnatural they are the result of sin in our world there's a lot When somebody is killed because a drunk person crosses the center line and smashes your loved ones to pieces and they die. That, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were on planet Earth after the fall and before the second coming. And so we all have those effects. If many of our loved ones get a disease or uh, have some tragedy that befalls us, it's not necessarily because they sinned or their parents sinned. It's because we're in a world that is damaged. And in fact, I sort of get the idea that Earth is quarantined. Earth is the one planet out of all the universe. It's the one lost sheep where uh, they probably have that yellow and black caution tape around Earth <laughs> because there's, there's a lot of dangerous business going on here. But God isn't going to leave that space in, in, this, uh, in his universe. He's cleaning it up. Uh, one place I pastored was Moab, Utah. And uh, right there in Moab, Utah, they have a, uh, a big area that's got a big fence around it with those yellow and black radiation signs because uh, a, lot of the nuclear, a lot of the uranium they used for some of the nuclear weapons that they made came out of that area. And that was a processing facility right there just north of Moab, 400 yards from the Colorado River. And it's leaking into the Colorado River now, the uranium. Uh, and so it's all blocked off. It's a super fun site. It's a dangerous place. And earth is a dangerous place, and so Earth's sort of cordoned off. But God's going to clean it up, just like they say they're going to clean up that, that disastrous area there in Utah. There God is working to clean up the earth and uh, to get us all out of this situation. So Adam and Eve sinned, and uh, the creation was warped, and so now we have venomous snakes and insects. We have thorns and thistles. We have cactuses. Uh, that uh, i don't know that things were all quite that way at the beginning but if you've ever had the experience of a mosquito bite or a scorpion sting or some of those fun things we've all well, many of us have experienced those are parts i think of a world that's gone into trouble uh our the way we're made up is a problem uh, when adam and eve chose to rebel against god they were damaged some people call this original sin but we're talking really about Uh, This this transition from where we had our desires, our rational faculty, the will. All these things were organized so that Adam and Eve could obey very easily. But they chose the wrong choice. And so when they sinned, to us was passed on this distortion. And so now your faculties aren't in the right place. Like I said, if you have a, a child, if Adam and Eve had an unfallen child and you put him between the asparagus and the candy bars, That might have come out different than if it was you or your kid so we're kind of in this damaged situation but guess what spiritual blindness is chosen so God is showing us the truth he's drawing us to Jesus so we can be changed and uh, he wants to remake us so men were outwardly focused now we're inwardly or self-focused and so sin affects us the results of our choices impact entire communities If a man carelessly lights a cigarette in a chemical factory, he may set off an explosion that kills 200 people, including himself. He might be the only guy in the plant that was ridiculous and lit a cigarette, but you might have 200 dead people right there, because one guy did the stupid thing. And this is is our world of sin that we are in. This would only happen in a fallen world. So we have damage that comes from sin, and we have guilt. Those are two different things. The person who gets blown up, and they were observing the safety rules, but, but Joe Blow over here blew everybody up, that person is suffering the results of sin. They're not guilty, but they're blown up. The person who blew them all up probably knew what the rules were and got ridiculous anyway, so he might be guilty. So there's damage and guilt. Those are two different things. There was no blindness or genetic defect for Adam and Eve in the beginning. God gave them, Adam and Eve, everything they needed, everything they needed in physical equipment, the way their will, their desire, their rational part, in all the different parts of their personality, their, their uh, mental disposition were made up. Those were all very good. But after the fall, that was all damaged. And we all get the damaged stuff, every one of us. But it's not hopeless. God is working to change us. So... Um, Let's go on here with this question about obedience. So no obedience is a terrible bad word, right? If we think about obedience, we're all legalists. When somebody drives by you, you're going 60 you're going 70 in this lane and they're going 70 in the opposite direction. Do you are you happy that they're in the opposite lane? I think you are. <laughs> and so we we have um Obedience is not automatically a bad thing. Obedience is actually a pretty good thing, unless you come at it with the wrong motivation. It's not only interesting that Adam and Eve unfallen fell, but that when Satan came among the sons and daughters of God, you remember that story in in Job chapter 2? Satan comes along, and God's going to bring somebody up. you think that Satan would have brought somebody up, but No. It wasn't Satan's plan to bring up Job. I can tell you with 100% certainty, Satan had zero plan to bring up Job. Satan knew exactly who Job was, and he was the last person on the list that Satan would have brought up. But God said, hey, have you seen my servant Job? Could you imagine that interesting picture? Satan comes smirking along, and God says, hey, I want to ask you a question about one of my servants. His name is Job. Job. And I bet you that devil, I bet you the smile came down off his face pretty quick right about there. Now, you and I might say, well, no, still pretty dangerous going. And I think it was kind of dangerous going. But I want you to know that God knows what's going on, and God was very careful when He brought up Job. He knew exactly what He was doing. Have you seen my servant Job? You know the story. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 particularly. God confronted Satan with the claim that a fallen man, Job, was able to obey. And Satan said, no, no, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. Just let me at him. Let me at him, and I'll prove you're wrong. And so on, and you know the story, on went the plan. God said, okay, you can do this, but you can't do this. And uh, we have chapter 1, and Job is victorious. God is victorious. Chapter 2, the devil comes along, right, and he... And God says, hey, I was only going to bring up Job again. How do you feel about that? And Satan says, if you just let me, I will show you he's a, he's a fake, he's a fraud. And God says, I'll tell you what, you can do anything except kill him. Satan goes off to do his worst. Now you might say God was a mean person that day because he allowed Job to be subject to the devil. He had boils, his wife was... was uh, not too much help that day his friends turned out to be not too much help that day and he didn't even know that it was God that brought him up God why are you doing this to me it's not fair but guess what when it was all over Satan doesn't appear anymore in the book of Job for all the rest of the chapters after chapter 2 Job Job is sort of conspicuously absent except maybe through jobs friends they were speaking the wrong things but Satan himself doesn't show up again he left with his if he has a devil tail it was between his legs after chapter 2 because God found a person who would obey him and when job obeyed it wasn't a bad thing when job obeyed it wasn't because God's raining down his goodies for job when job obeyed it wasn't because job was some kind of a crackpot legalist when job obeyed it wasn't because he was a narrow, pharisaical Seventh-day Adventist. When Job obeyed, it was because he loved the Lord God. And we want it to be such that when we follow the Lord Jesus, it's from that love, and it's not a bad thing. And in, in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, what do you have? Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, well, like, here's a bunch of people that are messed up wrecks, and they're obeying because they're afraid of me. That's not the story. The story is, here are a bunch of people that have been messed up wrecks, but they're trusting me, and I give them power, and they, uh, they love me, and I love them. That's the story. So you have this contest. Is it about fallen or unfallen obedience? Yes? Um, Would you say the devil was speaking through his friends? Yeah. Well, that's why I say indirectly, I think Satan was there. Satan is, is there. The question was, was the devil, when I said the devil was maybe still there speaking through his friends, uh, wasn't the devil still there? So to speak, yes, he was. And remember, remember when um, Peter said to Jesus, um, Lord, let it not be so. You know, you're going. You're telling us this is going to turn out this terrible way. No, please let it not be so. Was the devil speaking through Satan through through Peter? Jesus said to Peter, "Get thee behind me." He didn't say Peter. Right. Get thee behind me, Satan. Right. And so, if we get wrong ideas, especially in certain areas about righteousness by faith, if we get wrong ideas, the devil can speak through us and discourage each other. Um, and he can rejoice when we teach the wrong thing about job about God at the end of the book of Job, you know that story, God said to Job, pray for your three friends so that I can forgive them and Job was glad to do that. So we want to be the kind of people that God can use us and work through us uh, to get the truth out about God. So Jesus clearly came to show obedience. Um, there's this question about the nature of Christ and we'll talk a little bit about more about that tomorrow. But today we're talking about sin, so I just want to point out um, that if you go to Romans 8, verse 3, uh, Jesus condemned sin, and it tells us exactly where Jesus condemned sin. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but um, if you have Romans 8, verses 2 and 3 and 4, uh, we'll find out where sin was condemned. And I'll read it for us. that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we go on. But in verse 3 it says he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned sin where? In the flesh. He didn't condemn it theoretically. He didn't condemn it uh, in kind of a half Adam and a half not Adam. he, He condemned sin in the kind of flesh that was fallen. Jesus condemned sin by being obedient in a humanity uh, the Bible shows us that it's like the humanity that we have so we won't say much more about that today We're talking about, trying to look at this question about sin so Jesus came to show us. I'm just going to assume this today and we'll talk about it tomorrow Jesus came to show us that what obedience looks like in fallen flesh. He came to give us exactly our case and so that's what we have How we understand what sin is impacts our entire view of the controversy between good and evil, and I'll tell you why that is. All these things come down to this question about whether we can trust him. Is he arbitrary or is he not arbitrary? At every turn, Satan's goal is to paint God as as capricious uh, so that we will not trust him. He wants us to have this question, whether he wants us to fear him, he wants us to think of him as an arbitrary and a hard-to-trust God. If you can't trust God, you don't know what to do. If you were Muslims, if you go and sit down and read the Quran, your viewpoint of God will be kind of interesting. In the Quran, um, Allah, it doesn't have atonement like Christianity, it's it's but you have sin. If you sin and you make Allah angry, uh, what do you have? Allah gets very unhappy with you and He burns the flesh off of your body. But because Allah is the way he is, he gives you brand new flesh, and you begin burning all over again. And when that flesh is gone, you burn again. And on the average, in the Quran, every four pages, um, you have this, this burning thing talking about. So this isn't that picture of God. That's a picture of God who is, who is hard to believe, hard to love, hard to trust. And you don't want to make Allah angry at you because you, know, you might get burned. You might get burned really bad. The picture of God in the Bible is that God loves us and the devil wants us to view him as hard to love. He wants us to view God as, as uh, well, he's asking unreasonable things of me. He wants me to not do this. He wants me to do this. He wants me to not do that. But I like the flavor of that. He wants me to do this. It, it all comes down to this trying to make it so that God is hard to trust. But if we look at the Bible and look at how God deals with sin, we find that God is consistent in his dealings with sin. He's faithful and fair, and he's gracious, and he's ready to forgive every person who truly repents. He's ready to give every person who's willing, every person, the help so that that person can repent. His strength is not limited. His arm is not shortened. He's ready to help us. Jesus came close, and this is something that the devils cannot abide. They want him to be hard to love. So they make obedience hard, and they make God harder. And so God's character is represented as teaching that, uh, for example, the idea of original sin. This is a Catholic idea that says that basically you are born guilty. You're a baby. You look at your little baby, and your baby's a little Hitler, some people have said. But in fact, baby is not a little Hitler. Baby is a little being that's born damaged. You were born damaged. And he doesn't have very many ways he can communicate. He can go, wah. Uh, And he has needs, but that doesn't mean he's born to be a little Hitler. Uh, All of us are born to be Hitler if we don't give our heart to Jesus. All of us, if we give our heart to God, can be precious, uh, loving kinds of giving people. Remember, everything boils down to self-serve or self-giving. And so God is working, and the great controversy is very much about this. But the, this makes perfection an impossible goal when we view God as this hard, harsh, arbitrary, can't trust him kind of a person. And so the devils are working on that. And that's why I personally believe that into the theology of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which never had this idea of original sin, that we've had this idea come in in the last uh, 50 years or so, uh, because the, uh, what that does is it makes God an arbitrary master. And it makes us guilty, so guilty that we say, so that when, you go, when you're sitting in church on Sabbath morning and your heart's completely given to the Lord Jesus, you're there to worship, you're so glad you're there, you're so glad that He loves you and He died on the cross for you, and you're, you're, you're totally open to God's leading, you're sinning right there because you're a human person, you have a human body, and with every breath you take, you're just guilty de facto. You're just guilty because you're human. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus, God gives light to everyone. Jesus gives light to everyone who comes into the world, and He's planning to help us all come away from sin. Yes. Would you say that the Adventist Church, yes, a baby is someone. So the question is (laughs) that uh, what about a baby? Is a baby born a sinner? So the answer to that is again going to be we want a Bible answer and when we talked at the beginning of our talk today what was it that we need for something to become sin for sin that we're guilty for let's say it that way there's light there's knowledge there's revelation it's wrong to rob a bank the baby doesn't know it's wrong to rob a bank in fact the small child doesn't know that it's wrong to take the cookie from the other small child so I don't think that's robbery but the other child's gonna put out quite a problem if his cookie's taken from him. We want a Bible answer. One of our Bible answers is 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the law. It's when you cross a moral line that God has placed there and you do it intentionally. The child who takes the cookie from the other child, he knows he wants that cookie, but he doesn't know that the high moral God of the universe who died on the cross for him regards that as theft. He gets upset. <laughs> and his rights have been transgressed, even though we may not know he has rights. Yeah, right, right. So sin is so sin is, is a chosen a act or disposition. Yes. So does the baby have a sinful nature? The baby has a nature that needs so there's two things we talked about, sin and damage. Mm-hmm. There's guilt rather in damage. We'll say it that way. Every baby has a nature that needs to be healed but not every baby is guilty of sinning that has to that's a chosen intentional it can even be chosen but not intentional I'm not trying to rebel against the God of heaven I just want the cookie okay I wouldn't regard that and I don't think the Bible regards that as sin in the same way as the child that says I know I shouldn't steal I know that's not my cookie but nobody's looking." that's different so looking for a Bible answer in John 9, we find that Jesus said, when if, if I had not come and shown them, they wouldn't have known what sin was. But since I've come and shown them, now he said, your sin remains. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Yeah. So I think that gives us an answer. Uh, He's talking to adults then. Yes. And those adults were sinners. The Hebrews tended to re- regard it as about the age of... Six old? At the age of 13, you, you have your bar mitzvah, if you're contemporary Jewish. As you become a son of the commandment, bar mitzvah. Uh, now, and in the last hundred years, they've had bat mitzvah, a daughter of the commandment. Mm-hmm. And so um, they regard that as when you become morally accountable. The Bible doesn't tell us it's at 12 or 13 years old. The Bible doesn't really tell us particularly. Did I see a hand back here? Yes. Yeah, if I may, I'd like to comment on what you said as I'm listening. So, what we you're saying is the original sin. I believe it is. And let me restate it for the recording. Uh, the question that just came up, or the statement that was made, was. Um, this isn't this then more about babies because uh, when an even when an adult who knows what's right and what's wrong uh, even when they do right they're sinning and so that kind of makes it God arbitrary and victory over sin is a hopeless thing even if you sweated and somehow were victorious for a while it wouldn't matter because you're still sinning all the time uh, and that's again that's I agree with you that's that's the that's what you would many people derive from that idea therefore why should I even try it's hopeless so what I can do is I can get my forgiveness and I can have my candy bar too so uh, so this is what this idea of original sin is doing to us it's taking away how can you have a closed of probation as we understand from Revelation 22 11 and 12 uh, a time when God doesn't withdraw His power or His help, but there's no more forgiveness available. Uh, what use is that if we're sinning all the time? The moment that you uh, you don't have somebody to stand between you in the sense of forgiving, uh, you're, you're toast. You're done, and so you serve, you're serving that arbitrary, capricious God. He's not really any different from Allah, the Allah of the Quran, I should say. So um, anyway. Uh, we have. Um, I've gone through, and I know that these are too fast for you. These are lists of the all the words uh, for sin in the New Testament, and there's actually a few more besides these. But this is for sin. This is um, the word for transgress or transgression or transgressed, transgressing. These are those. These are the eight authors. of. I, I, I've often talked about the Old Testament. I haven't done as much about the New Testament, so this is all New Testament. Here is the word iniquity uh, and variations on it. Um, that's everything there. Evil, there's a lot of uh, references to evil in John and Paul and so on in the New Testament. And um, what I've done is I've kind of taken, I've just got two or three verses here we might talk about a little bit, and then in the time that we have left, I've got to talk faster uh, We, uh, I thought we could go over any of those, any verses in the New Testament you're interested in, well, the whole Bible, but if you wanted to, we could talk about, raise any question about any of those passages and try to look at that and understand sin from this Bible standpoint um, and not just from a theological standpoint. So um, let's look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The first, one of the first things to notice is that in the New Testament, where it begins, the first chapter of Matthew, the fact there is that Jesus' whole mission is to save his people from their sins. That's very important when Jesus announces his mission. This is what I'm here to do. So they are not Jesus' sins, but their sins. And that means that they are not their sins, they are our sins. Because we do the same things. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about my sins. Jesus came to save me from my sins. Yes, you can say you're guilty for Adam's sin. You can say that. That's original sin, and we don't teach that. We never have, at least not until the 1950s. But even as a church, we've never really formally made that a belief statement, thankfully. But what we have with this question about sin is we don't really need, I don't need Adam's sin to be guilty because I have a long list of my own sins. Those are the ones I'm certainly guilty for. The wages of sin is death. If Jesus doesn't intervene, I'm going to be lost. Jesus has intervened. If I accept his intervention, I'll be saved. And the word, and by the way, in the Bible, the word for salvation in the New Testament that's so often translated save also is the one that's translated when Jesus heals somebody. He says, your faith has made you whole. It's the same word in the Greek. You don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, it's the same word. So being healed and being saved, we talk about sin in terms of guilt and sin in terms of, of, of damage. And we're all kind of damaged. And then we need to be, we've also sinned in a way that we've become guilty as well. But looking at Matthew 121, Jesus offers atonement for me. Uh, he's not going to act for me. He's not going to choose for me, but he offers the gift to everyone. And Jesus came, Matthew one twenty one, to save us all from our sins. He doesn't force me to embrace it. And so we're free to make our own choices. Now, I know there are people who teach that we cannot overcome, but the Bible teaches us differently. In fact, I agree with this author. You might be familiar with this person. Her name is Ellen White, and in Desire of Ages, page 466, she writes this. Under uh, under the influence of the Spirit of God, man is left free to choose whom he will serve. In the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom. The expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. Now that's a very interesting statement. Very interesting statement. So there's a power source and there's a decision source. Power source and a decision source. The power source is God. The decision source is the individual. And this same question confronts all of us. Will I surrender to Christ or will I not? Will I choose freedom in the highest sense or will I choose or will I refuse to have freedom in the highest sense? And we can all be free, free in this sense that we are free from sinning. God gives the choice to me, but according to this statement, the expulsion of sin, she said, is the act of the soul itself. So God provides the power. You don't have it. But when you choose it, he provides the power. And heaven regards that as you are choosing not to be a rebel. You're choosing to receive from help from God. You're choosing to be on God's side of the question. You're choosing anti-rebellion in that sense. Or you could say, I'm choosing to be a rebel, a rebel against Satan. And what we have actually today is a world in which there's a lot of cowardice. There's a lot of us who are not rebels. There's not enough rebels. We are cowardly, slinking along with Satan's plan because it's the most convenient. It's the least abrasive. I can just float downstream. Once my parents and I, we were in a boat in the Willamette River uh, just south of Portland in Oregon area where I grew up, and... uh, but the, my folks liked fishing, and there we were in our boat in the Willamette River. And coming down the river was this dead uh, cow carcass floating downstream. And it was all bloated up, you know, because of the, the biology of it and the gases of it. And it was going down, and there were birds trying to land there. And I hope you've already eaten today. Um, but, you know, it was very easy for that, for that carcass to float downstream. And it's very easy for us to be cowards and float downstream, but Jesus is always calling us to come up higher and to experience true freedom, true freedom. And so Matthew one twenty one tells us this, the expulsion of sin is the act of the, cho- of the soul itself. I'm not saved because I act, but I'm saved because when I choose, God's power acts for me. I'm saved by his power, but because the choice to sin is not my choice, uh, did I say it right that way? God's power acts for me, I am saved by his power, but because the choice to sin or not is my choice, its expulsion is my act. So Sister White is right. Mm -hmm. Because the sin to choose or not is my choice, it's only logical to agree with what she says, the expulsion of sin is the act of the soul himself. He lets me own my own act. Could I do it without him? No, I don't have the power. Would he even put it? In my, would it be in my heart to uh, to choose right if he didn't put it there? I don't think so. Anyway, let's move on. We need. Um, yeah, we already read that. I'm behind myself. Oh, here's another passage: New Testament Acts, chapter three. Verse 19, and these are all things you're probably familiar with. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When God forgives sin, friends, He blots it out. When people repent and are converted, sin is removed. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. We thought saw that a minute ago. He came to do it completely. He removes it completely. In the work in the wilderness sanctuary... The work of the priest did not end at the altar just inside the courtyard. The blood had to be taken and ministered into the most, into the most holy and then once a year it had to be taken out of there by the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement plan, right? So the sinner confessed his sins with his hands on the sacrifice. The priest caught the blood of the sacrifice. He took it into the tent, the holy places. At the end of the year, when the sanctuary was cleansed, the sin was atoned for in the most holy place. Its record was transferred again now to the scapegoat by the high priest, and that goat was taken out and removed from the camp. The sin was blotted out and the camp was cleansed. God's plan is always to utterly remove, utterly blot out, totally eradicate sin there will not be a place in the universe God willing in 50 years from now I'm not setting a date I'm just picking, but, but hopefully there will no be not even be earth will not even be cordoned off with little little radiation sign on it danger don't or skull and crossbones don't go there earth is still not settled God will have cleaned up the mess here but his plan was always to remove sin and refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord Jesus, our sacrifice, our great High Priest. And if we go to Acts twenty-six, if you're looking, Acts twenty-six eighteen, uh, God's plan is seen again. Acts twenty-six eighteen, and this is kind of an interesting passage if you take a look at it. Here's it's talking about um, Jesus. It says his plan is to open God's plan is to open their eyes. In order to turn them, and there's many things here, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So you could say, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that's implied in the text. That they may receive forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't stop there. They also receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now the me in this statement is Jesus himself. Luke is repeating what Jesus told Paul at his Damascus Road conversion. Jesus did not come to sign someone's legal papers. That's not all he came to do. He came to open their eyes. He came to open their eyes of everyone who's willing to give up their blindness. Remember how we started in John 9 with the blind guy? And he was born blind. He didn't have a choice. He was born blind, but... God came so that he would his blindness would be removed, so that the glory of God would be seen. And whenever God gives us sight about what's right or wrong, and whatever we choose Jesus, what are we doing? It is giving glory to God. We're experiencing freedom in the highest sense, and we are choosing life instead of death. Our eyes are being opened, and we're coming so that we're not blind anymore. The last generation of people on planet Earth will not be blind we will be cited. The people who in Revelation 14 stand on Mount Zion with Jesus, in that picture we have in those first five verses, they are people who have seen what sin is. They've seen sin in their own choices of rebellion and they have forsaken that. They've received the power of God and they've received his forgiveness and they're changed people. And they will walk with him in white, says the book of Revelation. And so God is wonderful and ready to change us. In fact, speaking of Revelation, uh, let's look at one more text here. Uh, There's an interesting promise in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, and the last part of verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God and, and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now this is a doxology, and there's several of these scattered through the Bible, uh, especially the New Testament we see them. Doxology, it's giving glory and praise to God. And what it says about sin especially helps us. He loved us and He washed us. Now, Jesus washes us. Well, what happens when you wash? You get the dirt and stuff out, hopefully, right? And when the water goes away, it's got a different color than when it started, Right? And so what solvent do we have? It's the blood of Jesus. He used his own blood. And from the cross comes sin removal, nothing less. Jesus died on the cross, and he gave his life as an offering for sin. What he accomplished there was a perfect offering of atonement. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest ministering the sacrifice. He is the great atonement maker. And what solvent could there be in the universe stronger than the blood of Jesus, the character of God, to cleanse us from sin. So God is gracious to us, and I believe we have an answer. Can fallen men not sin? Can fallen men not sin? Satan says, of course they'll sin. God says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Not that they do it in their own power. Not that they're these super saints walking around and saying, hey, I overcame on my own, and I did it, and uh, I did it in 24 years. What about you? Oh, I did it in 22. That's not the way it is. It's not the way it's going to be. All of our overcoming is through the power of God. All of our forgiveness is from his mercy. And when we trust him, when we learn to trust him and say, he's not arbitrary, this makes sense, the power is available, why would I not want to be more like Jesus? Then we'll be ready to maybe be that group that he'll have at these last days, not washing downstream with all the junk of our age, but instead of people who trust God, trust him implicitly, and like Jesus who's on the cross and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm trusting you. I'm doing the ultimate trust. what we'll be doing we trust him with our life with our last breath if that's what it takes and don't worry about the other side because there's a glorious morning coming when we'll be on the other side of this terrible um, situation that has happened so can fallen men not sin the Bible says yes fallen men need not sin Uh, my grace is sufficient for you and so I'm afraid that we've run out of time, so we don't, can't go that through that mighty list. Um, but here's, if you're interested in more on some of these topics, um, I have my greatcontroversy.org website. It's been up for 25 years or so. I can't remember how long it's been up there. Um, and we've got hundreds of sermons and things there. I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, we have a devotional we put out every morning. It's a three- or four-minute devotional. Uh, It's designed for everybody. If you have a neighbor who's not an Adventist um, and you want to just get something started and get them thinking spiritually, you can go to Larry, the guy from Michigan. That's my website there, my YouTube website. I've got a mailing list you can join, the MailChimp one there. And we have a Telegram. If you're on Telegram, there's a channel that um, we're trying to make more than just my sermons, but it's called uh, North American SDA's Chat. So those are some links there if you're interested. But... I think I need to have a word of prayer and then uh, be glad to talk to any of you who stay by after if you're interested. But let's pause and pray together. Dear Father in heaven, today we've looked at this question, uh, can fallen men not sin? Uh, unfortunately, many people today have said that uh, no, they can't not sin. They're stuck with sinning. We're just stuck until the end and, and someday you're just going to let us, uh, you're going to let sin into the end in anyway. Uh, We don't really agree with that, Lord. As we read the Bible, we find that it's abundantly clear that you give us strength through Jesus to overcome. It's not a a bad thing. It's a good thing. So, Lord, help us to be your servants. Help us not to be rebels uh, against you. Help us not to be cowards slithering along with Satan and uh, heading for destruction. Lord, help us to be receiving the help of Jesus and so that we are choosing to do right in the power from above bless us and keep us help us lord as we some of our neighbors and friends and even fellow seventh-day Adventists have lost this picture that we can live without sinning through the love and power and help of jesus help us lord so that there is a ability lord for you to pour out your latter rain use us and you receive all the glory we don't receive one bit and we'd have it no other way, Lord. May Jesus be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.